Good morning. Thank you, Nathan, for the reading of that scripture this morning. It is good to be back with you today. We had a great vacation last week, a much-needed rest, and <clears throat> speaking for myself, I know I'm ready to go and excited to get back to the work today. <clears throat> a pediatric nurse found a very good way to calm the fears of the child patients that she would often uh, have to check the vitals on. And so what she decided to do is before she listened to their heart with her stethoscope, she would first let them put the stethoscope in their ears and let them hear the beating of their heart. She would often ask, what do you hear? And they would say, that is, my, is that my heart? Well, one particular day as she was doing this to, for a little boy, she put the stethoscope in his ears and she said, what do you hear? And he, his eyes just widened and he said, is that Jesus knocking? Well, this little boy obviously had some understanding at least to the verse that is our text this morning. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 in which Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door. And knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus made this statement to the church of a little city known as Laodicea. The church in that city had grown very cold and indifferent. They had lost their zeal. They had let other things distract them to the point that they were at that point only going through the motions. It's important for us to note this morning that this, these individuals to whom Jesus wrote this, they were Christians. Jesus was knocking on the door or as it symbolized their heart. He was knocking on the door of their heart, the heart of erring Christians. However, I want us to also note this morning that Jesus extended this statement to a group, an audience beyond just the Laodiceans when he said, if any man hear my voice and open the door. You see, by saying, if any man, Jesus extended the audience, and it's preserved for this reason as well, to all of us. Jesus still, to whom this was first written, they were rich. They were prosperous. They were self-sufficient. And it had been a very long time since anyone had to depend upon anyone. It had been a long time since their riches could not take care of any problem that arose in their life. Their life. It had been a long time since they considered their debt to Christ. And friends, we live in a very rich, prosperous, self-sufficient culture. In fact, the most the, the most rich, prosperous, and self-sufficient culture in the history of our world. It would be very easy, if not even natural, to develop a mindset akin to that of the Laodiceans. But we need to be aware of their spiritual condition, the spiritual condition that walks hand in hand with such a prosperous physical condition oftentimes. What did the Lord say of their spiritual condition? Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. He said to them, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. 
Oh, in the physical sense, this group of Christians would have certainly denied all of these accusations. But in the spiritual sense, they were undoubtedly true because the one who knows the hearts of, men, of all men made, the, made the, this uh, statement. Jesus also illustrated this type of heart in his parable of the sower or the parable of the soils as the thorny ground. Remember Matthew 13, 22? He said, He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. That part's good. But what follows? And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and he becometh unfruitful. It very well could be the case that Jesus has been knocking on the door of someone's heart that's here Today, for this very reason. And so if that is the case, <clears throat> this morning we would urge you to ask, is Jesus knocking on the door of my heart? And if so, could this be why? But let's look at another reason why some might not let him in. Some might hear the knocking on their doors, on the door of their heart over and over, time and time again, and still never open the door. Could it be that like the chief rulers, you are afraid to confess him before others? Yes, this group of chief rulers, I want to read to you from John chapter 12, verse 42 through 43. These chief rulers, they were afraid of losing their social standing, and so they wouldn't let the Lord into their heart. Notice what the text says. It's, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. Well, that should certainly be a good thing, shouldn't it? But again, listen to what follows. They believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praises of God. How utterly shameful that one would be more concerned with losing their popularity than losing their soul. But we've seen this time and time, many modern day equivalents. One is, I've personally and sadly seen denominational preachers who have sat down and had Bible studies and have come to see the truth, but they would not act upon it because of fear of being ousted from the denomination that had ordained them. And they would lose, at least in their mind, they weighed the, weighed the balances and considered all that they would lose. And for some reason, those losses outweighed the gain of their soul. What a sad situation. Likewise, I know of those who have come to know the truth, but because of fear of being shunned by their family and by their friends, they would not act upon what they had learned. Still others would not give thanks to God by prayer in public for the very same reason. Would not defend the truth in public for the very same reason. Or would not mention the gospel to those who need to hear it for the very same reason. Fear of rejection. Jesus warned, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Friends, we need to be wary of that passage because there's many ways that we can deny our Lord. We, not be, we should not be guilty of any of them. Have you allowed the door of your heart to go unanswered because or despite the persistent knocking of our Lord because of this reason? 
Let's notice another one. Perhaps some, like Pontius Pilate, are trying to be neutral in their life. This is recorded in, in Matthew chapter 27, 22 through 24 of, Pilate, of Pontius Pilate, the one who sentenced Jesus to death. It reads, Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? They all say to him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, and saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. See, more, uh, Pilate is a good example of a moral coward. He wanted to ride the fence. He refused to make a stand. Instead, he just wanted to keep both sides happy. Probably a non-confrontational kind of guy, you know. He just didn't really want to upset anybody. Jesus said we can't be neutral, though. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You see, Jesus didn't leave us much choice to ride the fence, did he? To stand on the middle ground, we have to choose a side. Eventually, we will have to choose that side. If not now, you will have to choose that side. The enemies of truth are becoming more and more vicious in their attacks upon Christians and upon our beliefs. More and more, they are opposed to the, to the godliness that we try to exhibit in our lifestyles. More and more, their lifestyles oppose godliness. And so we cannot always be a friend of the world and a servant of Christ. They have not left us that choice. You know, it's a true saying, if a man will not stand for something... He will fall for anything. Have you heard that? The longer I live, the more and more it seems, more and more it rings loud and clear. If you will not stand for something, you will fall for anything. So friends, have you been riding the fence? Trying your best to be a friend of modern culture and trying to at the same time be a friend of Christ. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ couldn't pull that off. His apostles couldn't do it. And neither could any in the early church that we're aware of. Isn't it time you realize that neither can you? Could Christ be knocking on the door of your heart for this very reason? As we look at a fourth reason why some do not let him in, is it because, like Governor Felix, some are waiting for a more convenient time? Now, Felix was a Roman governor or procurator of the province of Judea. He was audience to Paul's testimony. And not only was the audience, not only did he hear what Paul's, defense, Paul's defense, what Paul had to say, it actually pricked his heart when he heard it. Christ knocked on, his, on the door of his heart at that moment. But he did not answer. He did not open. In fact, the, it's recorded in Acts 24, verse number 25. And as he, Felix, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. 
Oh, it's so easy when we're faced with a difficult decision to just take the easy way out and just procrastinate, just put it off. And I just won't make the decision today. I'll make it tomorrow. But as far as we know, a convenient season never came for Felix to forsake his sin and open the door. Certainly many have gone into eternity not finding, never finding that convenient time. The truth is, however, that there is no time that is more convenient than this very moment, the present. David knew this. Psalm 39 verse 7, David said, And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. David understand, understood the moment that, uh, the, that the present is the best time to act. Paul also urged the Corinthians, saying, Behold, today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Friends, it is foolish to wait about doing something for which the stakes are so high. And so could it be the case that the Lord is knocking on the hearts of some even here today, reminding you of this very thing? As we look at a fifth reason why some may not open the door, consider Saul of Tarsus. Maybe some, like Saul of Tarsus, do not want to give up their church. Paul was brought up in a religious denomination. No, don't ever think that denominations were invented during the time of Christianity. There were denominations even under Judaism. In fact, Paul was a member of the most rigorous, strict sect of Judaism known as the Pharisees. Acts chapter 24, verses 26, verses 4 through 5, Paul said, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all of the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, in other words, strict, the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Saul was a very sincere person. He was exceedingly zealous, exceedingly zealous of the traditions of his fathers, according to his own words in Galatians 1.14. And he refused to hear any differently. He, in fact, he fought militantly against anyone who would try to teach him anything differently other than what he perceived to be the truth. But it turns out that the truth that he had accepted was wrong. He was, as I preached not long ago, he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And the Lord had been knocking on the door of his heart. Later on, Jesus indicates that Paul had been kicking against the pricks. In other words, he was refusing. He was fighting tooth and nail against opening the door. He, uh, 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 he was trying his best to ignore the pains of his conscience. And ignore all the signs that were given him of the truth. Why? Why was he fighting so hard against it? Why was he kicking against the pricks? An illustration that has to do with livestock, as I understand it, is these, as people would uh, use livestock, they would use these in implements that had nail-like things sticking out from them, the pricks, and they would use these pricks to goad these livestock in the direction they wanted them to go. But as one, instead of just filling the prick and moving on, Kicking against the pricks is when a livestock would just try to harden its, harden its neck and, and just fight against the urges of the shepherd. 
why was it that Saul was kicking against the pricks? Why was he refusing to hear the, mess, the knocking on his door? Turns out it was because he didn't want to give up the faith he had been taught from a child. He was following men rather than God. Finally, Saul opened the door and look at what good he did when he did so. Could it possibly be the case that Christ desires the same as someone here today? Could it be that the Lord is knocking on the door of someone's heart this morning for this very reason? My question for you would be, will you let him in? Let's look at a sixth and a final reason why some do not let the Lord in. Could it be because some, like King Agrippa, when they're almost persuaded, they still harden their heart? Acts chapter 26, verses 26 through 29, we have the recording of where Paul gave a testimony before a man named, this man named King Agrippa. I'll read this text for you. It begins in verse 26, Acts chapter 26. For Paul said to him, For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things were hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner, King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then King Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether, such as I am, except for these bonds. Another sad testament here of a lost soul, for which the Bible never tells us that King Agrippa was ever altogether persuaded as, Christ, as Paul was. Jesus knocked on the door of his heart, and he refused to open. There is a similar account of a scribe who once came to Jesus and said, and to which Jesus said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, Mark 12, 34. As far as the biblical record goes, this man never completed that which was required to come into the kingdom of God either. How sad is it to be so close and to fail? I mean, it's always sad to fail. But for some reason, it just, it's just even sadder when a person is so close and yet they still fail. I've read that most, automobile, most fatal automobile accidents happen within seven miles of the victim's home. Isn't there just something about that little statistic that just even is, even is sadder? Not only the fact that they, not just the fact that it was a fatal accident, but the fact that they were so close to safety. How many people, how many souls will be lost in eternity that were almost home? Friends, Jesus still knocks on hearts today. How do I know? Again, because he said, if any man hear my voice and open the door, if any man, that means, that means all, he knocks on the door of all of our hearts today. And he has his peculiar ways through his providence and through his word in which he operates on our heart. <clears throat> Jesus wants us wants to take up residence in all of our hearts. He brings many gifts and he wants to remodel, help us to remodel our homes. Today, perhaps he's knocking on the on your door. But tomorrow, I get this, today he may be knocking on your door. But tomorrow, you certainly certainly will be knocking on his. So won't you do for him now what you would want for him to do for you later? Open the door 
and let him in. If we can help you this morning to do that, we certainly stand by ready and would be pleased to do so. We first want to help you in that effort by letting you know the gospel plan of salvation, God's plan in order to save man. He sent his son into this world to die as a propitiation for your sin. He sent him to die in your place. But there's something that we must do in order to receive this great gift. It's a free gift. Not to say that it's not free. It's a free gift, but there's still things that we must do in order to receive it. None of us could accomplish it on our own. God accomplished it, but what must we do? We must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Make no mistake that dying in your sins means lost eternally. And Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will be lost eternally. Jesus said, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We must not only believe in Jesus, but we must be penitent about the sin, our past sins. We must turn from, we must acknowledge that we've done wrong and we must plan to turn from those things. But we can have his help if we're in him. But how do we get in him? We are baptized into him. We are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. If we can help anyone do this this morning, Presuming that you being here today that you already believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Presuming that you acknowledge that you have sin in your life and that you're willing to turn from it. If you're willing this morning to take it one step further and respond and be baptized. Have those sins washed away. Heaven can be your home. We would urge you to do that. We stand by ready to help you. We want to see every, every creation of God go to heaven. We know that won't always be the case, but we would like to help him on his mission. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. If you're here today and you're lost, why not open the door? Why not come to him this morning? If you're here today and you're a child of God and you've erred in one of the ways that we've mentioned in this sermon, why don't you open the door? Be restored. Won't you do it now as we stand and sing?